Welcome to the Don't Die podcast, sponsored by Aloe Treatment Centers. They're out in Malibu. They're in Silver Lake. It's a treatment center I started with some friends. We want you to get the right treatment, the right program for you, and stop dying. Stop dying, Chuck, and they have. <laughs> stop dying, Chuck. That's a simple message. But Mike did point out, I didn't say Happy New Year in the new first show of the New Year's. So the second show, we'll say Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I said Happy New Year so much, I got a two-year-old, Mike. They say it every fucking minute it for does, three it weeks. It doesn't even mean anything anymore. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know it, it, it's it's true. When I was young, it was like a big deal because we made it to this certain point. And now I'm, I am the grumpy old man who goes... Same shit. Yeah. All it means is I'm going to be writing the wrong year for the I'm next not, three months. I'm not like that because I'm so old that I forget sometimes. And New Year's wakes me up to the fact that in a matter of weeks, I'm going to be one year older. And a matter of weeks after that, I'm going to be one year longer sober. So I'm coming up on... Wait, so this might come out around your birthday? Well, let's sing yeah. happy birthday. No. Oh, my God. No. Here's the thing. I'll be 58 on February 15th, and I will be 23 years sober on March 16th. All right. Hey, wait. How did I get younger than you? You're not younger than me, are you? I think, I think Mike started Mike lying. Mike started lying about his age. That's one thing How I've never done. Happen? Are you 29 again, Mike? Yeah, man. God, I'm only you know, is that why you said he was 29 on the thread? No, Mike, honestly, Mike forgot there for like five years how old he was. Truthfully. <laughs> it's true. No. And no, I got no no the my time, uh, my sober time. Oh. No, and your real age. Like uh, if you ask Mike in nineteen eighty six, how old are you? You'd say, I don't know. <laughs> uh, who's asking? What, what does my driver's license say? Hey, so you remember that thread? Since we're going to talk about music, you remember, you remember the thread that we were talking about how uh, musicians do punk, uh, punk musicians do country yeah. country albums. Yeah. Well, Mike Mike Ness does. Well, yeah, but I mean, that doesn't really matter. But I'm talking about the knitters, and Dave Alvin has definitely gone into uh, America. Yeah, but the, Dave Alvin was. They, here's the thing Blasters and Los Lobos got lumped into punk rock. They had nothing to do with punk rock other than they drank and did coke with punk rockers. That's good enough. That's, <laughs> you know, I kind I think that did. I think that qualifies. I think dude, that, dude we were call we were college alt, but all we but all we did was we college drank alt. And we, Mike remembers college the alt? term. It was college alt. That was the, <laughs> when Thelonious Monster Stormy Weather came out, it was called college alt. It was. That was the genre of music. Yeah, they college fit, alt. They could it not wasn't even in. it wasn't college music. It was alternative college music. Yeah, it was like it was like it was like songwriters. <laughs> That couldn't write songs properly, so they couldn't figure it out. They're like, well, college alt. College alt. College. It, right. it later became indie rock, I believe. Indie rock was or, a good one. But the band who, you know, I always think about, at Christmas time, I always think about Joe Strummer. There really is been two heroes to me as a musician, as a fan, as a as a as a as an as an adult people the two people who most i idolize were joe strummer and paul westerberg right hmm. those are the two guys over from the time i was 16 17 and t until i was 40 
those are the two guys that that just they're the greatest songwriters, they're the greatest emotional singers. They're they're interesting guys. They say interesting things. They're inter, inter, intellectually curious. They're they're Westerberg's not political, but he's social. The things that he would say, the way he made fun of the music business, and and any he challenged every kind of uh, acceptable norm, right? He right. was just the greatest. Well, and, st and still and still is, and one of those people that will be remembered for more than just I having a song. I think he's remembered as he should be. Not yet, because I think it'll be the same way. I mean, you weren't listening to Muddy Waters and Helen Wolf when you were a teenager, but I think other people will find that stuff as time goes on. Uh, not people a lot of people still... Wait, wait, I was. When you uh, were 14? When I was 14, I was in a... Yes, that, that's exactly what I was listening you to. You can't Little use Mike as a normal uh, thing. Uh, I know, huh? <laughs> I was listening to Little Walter Jacobs, Muddy Waters, all the blue stuff. But no, the, the idea is that we go back and we find roots. I mean, that was... I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people ended up looking at country because, like, I had listened to... Uh, the punk rock stuff and then I, then I who do they listen to and then I'd go and I'd, I'd search my way back and I'd find my way back to the roots and I think those people will stand out Joe and Paul will stand out as being major contributors but can they because an interesting thing came up about music which is um, the, the idea that uh, I saw this great documentary about Oasis if you haven't seen it it's on Netflix called Supersonic where Noel Gallagher now I think he's sober just the way that he's talking he I think he's so he may not be sober 12-step world but he's reflected and he's done a lot of soul searching and you can tell in the statements he makes he makes a statement about when they played Nebworth that no one had ever solo played for 300,000 people in 1996, mm -hmm. Oasis played two nights for 330,000 people, just them. <laughs> Unfucking believable. Yeah. So he says, you know, I wrote some great songs and we were a great band. We weren't the greatest band in, like I said, but we were a great band. My brother's a great singer. I wrote some great songs. But it was nothing compared to what the audience brought to those songs and brought to that band, how much that band meant to them, how much these words. And he says, and they show in Nebworth the people singing along with Champagne Supernova. And he says, that was just a throwaway line. I just need to rhyme with something else. It didn't mean anything. <laughs> but giving it to them, these working class kids in England, it meant so much to them. And so he says, Oasis's success or what the phenomena that was Oasis had very little to do with us and everything to do with them. How fucking beautiful a statement about music is that? That's by Noel Gallagher, one of the biggest assholes no, in the history you know, of music. I, he's one of those guys I know where he used to say the most horrific things he said like, he wished damien alper right. died of he, AIDS. he hated blur and you know and i was more i i thought suede was a better band i thought that they would take off and they would conquer the world but they they didn't um and they happened around the same time it was suede alaska uh elastica blur and um i mean Britpop was happening and it was so cool the, but the, i was still loaded of but course. the band that i liked that that was pulp I liked them, but Oasis, was so but Oasis was in a different category almost, especially in England, right? So, so he said he goes on to say, and you got to understand, this was before phones, before social media, before twenty-four hour news. 
this can never happen again. And that's where the movie ends. It can mm. never, there will never be a thing like Oasis ever again. Yeah, there'll be Beyonce's and 9-6 and all this bullshit and Billy Eisley yeah, yeah. or whatever, all this stuff. But it's not, it's not as meaningful. It's all transient, transactional. It's fashion. It's not, it, when you see 300,000 people sing the words where Liam just stops singing and the whole fucking crowd is singing a song that's only been out for a year. Right. It's amazing. No, that is weird. I, I think I told you how that was one of those songs where I became an Oasis fan after I got sober because I'd really, you know, once what I... What year did you get sober? 97. Oh, they were over by then. I know. I, I got everything Chuck, day late Chuck's, and a dollar short. My Chuck's always late to the party, mm -hmm. isn't he? You know, well, it, it just they were just weren't on my radar. Like I just said, there was there was other stuff happening. You know how it was really... on my radar? Keith Morris came up to me and goes, have you heard Oasis? And that was on the first <laughs> album. And I was like, when Keith says it to you like that, you've got you now. The, is that, that definitely that, maybe or is, what's the story? Morning Glory. Definitely, maybe. Definitely, Cause maybe. Because Keith loved the rock and roll aspect of it. Keith went and saw their first show in L.A., I believe was at the Palace. I was supposed to go, but I had better things to do, Chuck. Yeah, I had too. a little bit of cocaine, a little bit of heroin. <laughs> I think this scar right here is what happened that night. Right. And I didn't see Oasis play for 500 people, right? Right. But, but um, that's how I heard about them. And, and there's another, you know, people that you know have these profound effects on you, me, on you, on me. Keith Morris, Top Jimmy, John Doe. Those are people more in your world that were also heroes to me. When Keith says you should like something, you better at least check it out, hmm. right? Because he doesn't make statements. He mostly hates everything. He's a music you know lover. What I mean? He so loves he, a lot of music, though. He, but he loved Oasis. He won't He's admit it now lover. because of because of what so happened. Big. Yeah. But but it was rock and roll. It was a re revitalization of rock and roll. And when Le when Noel Gallagher says it will never be anything like this, I sat there. I watched it at two o'clock in the morning a couple nights ago. Everybody was asleep, and I just got so sad. That is true. And then I started thinking about Paul Westerberg and the replacements and how much they meant to me. I I quit the Red Hot Chili Peppers tour to go see them. But it was a drinking good time with Mike, I don't think you like music the way that, that uh, people do because because they wrote 16 Blue and Androgynous and I've no, listened no, to I listened to Let do. It I Be. I get it. I get it. I understand. This is the part Neil likes when you guys hear huh? you. Who does? Neil, Sacramento, don't die. <laughs> oh, here it comes. Yeah. Oh, here yeah. it comes. No, because... <laughs> Hi, Neil. <laughs> because what Mike does, here's how Mike likes music. He hears a song, he learns how to play it, then he comes at you and plays it, right? So that used to happen with Neil Young all the time. Anytime a Neil Young album came out, within a week or two, Mike Mart would know how to play it, and then he'd go, you hear this Neil song, and then he'd play it for you. It's like... You know, it's Mike Mart's version of what of Neil Young. Well, you got to rewrite it a little bit, <laughs> make it your own. <laughs> no, I know what you mean, Bob, but but I do feel music too. You know, like all music that has some sort of like you know. I know you don't really like country music, but Me? somehow. I totally feel a lot of the like Steve Earle's songs and yeah. the stuff like that. When when it gets really real, like my old friend the blues, Steve Earle songs is one of the best songs ever written in my opinion. Yeah, that's a great song. But you but know? yeah, you like the more modern guys, Chris Stapleton. I do like this guy, 
um, because of the white man, white man's world song. What's it? Jason Isbell. You ever heard of him? I don't know. I don't know. He's a country guy. He's got a song called white man's world that, that, you know, there's very few songs I go, that's, that's clever. You have to be clever and soulful and real and honest. And it has to come from the mystery of songwriting world. That's hard to do. Cause he wrote a song about white privilege, right? From the point of view of a poor white dude in Alabama. You know yeah, what I mean? Right, right. It's fucking hard to do. Without being too on the nose and obvious. And yeah, and obvious. It, being clumsy. It, it was just yeah. so beautiful. So there are some guys, but yeah, you're you're right in that. I can't listen to Hollis Brown without busting into tears. Or pawn, or pawn in the Game. Oh, my God. That one brings oh, me yeah, to tears. Pawn in their in, game. Instantly, almost, man. I mean, <laughs> you know, a lot you of people feel, say... You're pretty sensitive. A lot of, a lot of people... That's a, great. I like that. You're talking to a guy that when the quick did Somewhere Over the Rainbow, I cried as a punk rocker. <laughs> <laughs> Remember that? So, but let's think about this. Music... Is it just because of America's affluence or the world economy's affluence that music doesn't mean as much anymore? I think it's more a commodity. Wait, didn't you write that in a song? What? <laughs> music doesn't mean that much to me oh, anymore. Oh, yeah. In 1987, <laughs> yeah. I did. But uh, To the West? But, to the East. but that was just a competitive thing. Mike probably doesn't even remember how that song was written. You'd be surprised what I remember, Bob. <laughs> okay. We were rehearsing in a rehearsal place that, um, that, that Megadeth, the band that was the offshoot of Metallica, was mm -hmm. rehearsing in one room. And in the other room was this band called The Long Riders that I felt were getting a lot of publicity and were not they were not top-notch songwriters they were just copying Graham parsons but they were really the pre press's darling way more successful than thelonious monster and i just felt like we're so fucking good when you're good you know you're good and then and and maybe it's a curse when you're not good anymore. You know you're not good anymore. People don't seem to notice when <laughs> they're not go good on anymore. Let's go on about the long run. Wait, the wait, long wait! Riders came out with those. Stupid he's trying coats. to make up. He's trying to make. No, that's the unforgiven you're thinking oh, of, Mike. Jesus! Oh, he's putting down the wrong band. Oh, oh. The long were probably great. <laughs> <laughs> Because it was the unforgiven so, that was You'd terrible. be surprised. Do you remember the comment he said a minute ago? You'd be surprised what I remember. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. But you're right. <laughs> uh, ah, fuck it. So the long riders uh. are rehearsing in one room, and Megadeth's rehearsing in the other, and I'm thinking, we're way better than these bands. Better songs, better musicians, just funner, better band. And I just felt resentful, and you know, and you got to be nice in the lounge area to people. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, hey, I've never been doing? to those high dollar rehearsal stages. You never have? Not not good ones like Bomb Shelter and oh. Sound Matrix and those places were down by where I live. They're, well, not, they're was, not like that. It was, oh, I, I can tell you stories. One time, Bicycle Thief was rehearsing across the hall from, 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 from Elliot Smith. It was mm. unbelievable. I barely rehearsed. I kept saying I had to go to the bathroom or go out to my car. I just leaned against the door of Elliot's room and listened to him. He would sing the same most beautiful song over and over and over again. Exactly perfect. Unbelievable. Get, almost made me cry because the keyboard player, this guy that we ended up knowing for years, couldn't get the parts right because there was really his the albums that elliot smith made were really complicated in the end the 
the figure eight and and the and the uh, the gray covered record i forget what that one's called there's so many tracks and it's john bryan doing like a million tracks of keyboards and a million acoustic guitars trying to replicate it and trying to replicate it with just one keyboard player so they were having to stop and start over and elliot would sing it perfect every fucking time i never forget that guns and roses rehearsing like going by there when they still were a band with i don't think steven was the drummer but matt storm had just become the drummer it was unbelievable to stand next to their door and listen to them so that was what i always i always liked rehearsing at those places i didn't care that it cost 50 bucks an hour or whatever you get to be around the best right and that's inspiring and competitive and but Elliot Smith was discouraging. There's no way to sing that good. There's no way. There's no way to write songs that good. <laughs> well, you, but you can't. But you can't because he's being the very best Elliot Smith, and you're being the very best Bob Forrest. As soon as that I start, still doesn't matter. Uh, it's not even in the same category. Yeah, but it's like anytime I go to see a band, like I went to go see Red Cross like a week and a half ago, and I'm watching them play, and I'm like, fuck it, I'm done. Did they play at a motel? It looked like it was a motel or something. They played it at Marty's. In uh, in it was outdoors, right? Oh, I saw no. I saw him at um, no. It's a weird. It's a. It's an oddball stage where it's got oh, like it looks a faux like there's front. an apartment building. It, it does look like that. It's one of the strangest places. It, Mike knows Marty's, but yeah, they're great. I've seen them so many incarnations. The greatest incarnation they had this girl Tracy played guitar. Janet was the drummer, and Jeff and Stephen. It was the greatest band. Then they had the guy Robert who played guitar, and they sounded like the Beatles. Now they got the Melvins. I mean, they are an amazing band. They are an inspiring just never, band. Never stop being good. I remember that when I was hanging out at Scream, there were the two different Scream clubs up in L.A., Big Scream by the Park and Little Scream on uh, was Heliopolis was the, the other thing. But they they were always hanging out, and they are like one of those bands that I just wanted to get to know. And then my, a guy that I shared a room with... Um, in rehab or Ed, real Ed, life? Eddie in real life. Eddie Kersdale. He he played with Shadowland and then he went to play Shadowland with, was yeah, I remember that band. Yeah, yeah. That's Brent, a goth band. Brenton Darren, they went on to do the, the Beachwood Sparks and uh Oh right. And the Tide and a bunch of other great Well things. Beachwood Sparks were really good and they just disintegrated because of drugs, right? I, I think that's what, what brought about They their were demise. really good. I played a show with them in Orange County at Anaheim Lake Park. They were fucking good, man. They They're were good. really good. Brent's, and that's Brent's sad, got another great project. That's a sad thing. When you see a band, like, I've seen so many great bands not have success, and it's usually due to drugs, right? Or not taking songwriting seriously or or listening to the wrong people. There's a myriad of... Or getting um, lost in your own little freaking world where it, it's, it becomes hard. Well, to no. Listen. When you saw Beatrice Sparks, you thought, this album's good. They haven't written the songs that they need to write. But they got the talent to do it, yeah. right? What, ins- what kept me going was one time the Chili Peppers played the Forum, and it was 93 or something, and I was sad, and I, I, you know, I was homeless or whatever, and um, I was 94, and Joe was there, and I had that girlfriend, Max, that uh, we were together for years and years, and and I was sitting there on a chair and everybody, all the rock stars are there and movie stars and after the show. And I was just feeling like the biggest loser. And Joe came over and put his, hey, Thelonious, how you doing? And I was like, oh, I'm good. How you doing, Joe? And, and then I, I just wanted to leave. 
like after 20 minutes of your friends are the biggest rock stars in the world and you're the biggest loser homeless guy <laughs> homeless guy <laughs> homeless guy's gonna leave now i don't know if anybody's gonna notice so hey, everybody so, stop where's bob so joe came and tapped max on the shoulder as we were leaving and said something to her and, I, you know, I thought he was trying to pick up on her. I didn't know what he was doing. And so we get in the car and I go, what is the fucking thing with Joe Stummer? And she goes, oh, he said to look out for you because you're the real talent in the room. Whoa. How beautiful a thing is that to say? He knew what place I was at in life. He just told her, you know, you got to look out for him. He's a real talent in the room. And he knew how I was oh, that's hurting. That's great, man. He knew how I was hurting. He knew. He was a tune. You know, the rest of the people are just oblivious, right? Yeah. I try to not be oblivious because Joe Strummer taught me, don't be oblivious to the, to the people in the room, to the things that are going on around you. Don't get caught up with, you know, John Cusack is there. Though I love John Cusack. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so like, I, I don't want to say I don't like him because I might like him in a year and I'll have to eat my words. <laughs> <laughs> John Cusack's a great guy, but I mean, you know, that it was a weird time where rock and roll musicians were being so flattered by that actors liked them. Right? It mm. was a weird Mike, you remember that? It was a lot of actors liked you. Actors were in your fucking band. Yeah, well, I don't know. How did that happen? That that he how did uh, how did were, it, how would how did a famous movie star get in Mike Bart's band? How did that they happen, were friends Mike? Friends with James Fernley, of course. James Fernley, who, who all actors like the Pogues. That there you go. There you go. So Mike gets the Pogues with, with, guy in his band. I didn't even know Dermot and Kieran were even actors until I was six months into the band. Dermot, easy to Mulroney. say, yeah. Yeah, and he was, I, I he swear was in, to God. He was he, in the band with Mike that made two he records. Showed, he, he was the greatest guy. They were both the greatest guys in the world. He showed up in an old beat-up truck. I never asked him what he did. We rehearsed. We Xander wrote. didn't tell you what he no, did? No, I didn't listen. He might have. <laughs> <laughs> I don't listen to Xander. Yeah, he might have. Anyways. <laughs> if Keanu, if Keanu Reeves wanted to play in Sweet and Low, would I you, didn't know would who you they low were. and sweet? I always get it wrong. It's low and sweet. It's not sweet and, and one's low. A, one's an artificial sweetener. Low and sweet. <laughs> yeah, we had to switch it around so, for trademark. But, in, you know, because Keanu Reeves was a bass player in a band. Yeah, and dog all, star. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I used to say bad things about them. I actually saw them, and they were pretty good. But you just you just got to hate it, don't you? Right. Right. But, you know. I never saw them. I don't, I don't. I, you saw them at the Viper Room. I right? don't. You know what? I like Coconut Records. Have you ever heard them? Jason Schwartzman. Oh no! They, he had an, he had another band that was good. Coconut Records is he's was a drummer. Really good. He's a drummer, and he does he, he sings. He was in Phantom Planet, wasn't he? Was he? I don't know. Yeah, I know that Look, the Coconut Records has some had like several like really solid songs. But it's, but it's hard. Let me tell but, you, one of the greatest musicians I know that can play anything. There's certain musicians that if they hear a song, they can play it right. Like Xander's like that. You just gotta. You don't even have to play the whole song. Mike, I know you got you got your relationship with Xander, but he is a genius. Oh, I love at, his guitar playing. At, He's on my solo album. Oh, is he? Yeah, we just, you know, we love each other like brothers. But kinda, Xander you know? is like a savant. Fashanti's a savant. Klinghoffer's a savant. Anything, if you bring them a song, they make it a million times better. Like just in the very beginnings of what they help you with. If you want to play a cover song, they know how to play it after listening to the first minute of it, right? 
we were, I remember in, in, in Thelonious, me and Pete became obsessed with Devo and we wanted to do Mongoloid. And <laughs> Shante was just like, well, you'd have to do it like this. And, and like he taught everybody how to do it and we just did it like, and it was perfect. You know what I mean? Like savants, right? There's an actor who is like that as a musician who it, it, it's, it's Johnny Depp. He is an amazing musician. Like is that. he really? And you never see it in the stuff they do with Joe Perry. You never see it. He won't be in a real band because he doesn't want to seem like an actor trying to have make records and stuff. It's very sad. I had this conversation with him. I said, dude, fuck other people. You were a guitar player before you were an actor. These other people were actors in drama class and wanted to be actors. Yeah, and then they learned like how Don to play Johnson guitar. It's not like Don Johnson trying to do a solo yeah. record. Yeah. If you're a rock and roll person, you should, because I wanted him to be in The Bicycle Thief, and we had this idea, like, we, we could disguise you and we'll make up a fake name for you, because he, he's an amazing guitar player. And uh, I've, it's I've, you sad. Know, I didn't give it... I, I've never given him... I've never really looked because I thought that same thing, but he was always so rock and roll, even in his movies. You could tell the guy there was more to him. He didn't seem like an empty actor. He always brought a rock and roll flair well, to Well, people things. don't know the story of him. He was in a band called The Kids. They were like a, they became a popular band in Florida, which God knows how hard that must be. <laughs> like, you know, Tom Petty did it. Tom Petty did it. Skinner did it. So The Kids... Um, and it was this guy. Bruce was the bass player, and he was the singer. Johnny was the guitar player. Sal, I think Sal Jenko was the drummer. No, maybe not. But but and they came out to Hollywood to get a record deal. That's how Johnny Depp ended up in Hollywood, <laughs> right? Then, then what? Jump Street happened? <laughs> no, he no he was, did he was doing extra work to make money because so handsome, and a casting director saw him and they cast him in Nightmare on Elm Street. Oh, and really? It, that's how it happened. He was just, and then he, the kids broke up because they got a record deal, but they never made a record that the record company liked or something. Then he joined my, this a band Mike will know, this great band that came up in Hollywood around 85, 86, that sounded like Bad Company, which I love Bad Company. They're, I love them. And so I love this band. It's called Rock City Angels. Did you oh, ever yeah, hear of them? Sure. Oh, yeah, I have. Their yeah. album with the fold-out gate sleeve with all of them in the middle, Johnny joined that band. He was in that band after that album Yeah, those came guys out. were from Florida, right? They were good, man, Rock City Angels. And then, you know, and then they... Another thing about... There's good bands that have great potential, like Beachwood Sparks, like Rock City Angels, like... Um, uh, I'm trying to think of some other ones that roll right off, like Lone Justice, like... There's these bands... I was surprised just, Human Drama never made it. Human drama, right. Different than drama-rama. Right. So, so there's these bands, and you see them, and they're special, and they're charismatic, and they got that special something, and they're great, and they just don't know how to write songs that good. But if they stick with it, they will be able to. Well, the corruption of the 90s and the 80s music business doesn't give you the opportunity to really you know learn how to write songs right. you do the, you do one record the second one they do a throwaway if there wasn't a hit yeah it happened to done. lions and ghosts and then you're you know? done and then you're done and and what happened with the earlier bands like us dream syndicate fishbone chili peppers we were allowed to fail right and just become better songwriters and better musicians hmm. right 
these bands that came along later were not given that luxury. They had to make a record. Like the nymphs were so great when they started, but she hadn't written a song. And then it's just like, you know, give her time. Let her make another and then album. Write, and then you write a bunch of songs and you got to sit in a room with a bunch of guys that go, we don't hear a hit. We didn't. Yeah, that's bullshit. That's all we bullshit. didn't make a good record until we were a band for five years and, and it was our third album. Right. Chili Peppers didn't make a good album until their fifth album. Oh, like, that's not true. Their well, fucking I mean, first albums were fabulous. Yeah, but I mean, I mean, successful. Where yeah, you would successful. say, where yeah. you, I, I can tell you, like I'm a Chili Pepper historian. The fact was, Behind the Sun was the first time they wrote a song like fucking great. Holy song, fucking man. god, that's a great song. It's one of the on best the songs first ever. album. There's great lyrics to a song um, called uh, "What Is It Called?" Isn't it bitchin' seeing dead men? Green onions. <laughs> right isn't it bitchancy and dead men and ditches right so the potential was there the musicianship was obviously there yeah the charisma and fantasticness of their live thing was there but the songs weren't there but they were given the luxury to make four albums bands later on were not given that luxury so you never know what they would have become or could have become right and and that kind of thing is now getting back to the Noel Gallagher thing. It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. These no. things that people say are songs, they're not songs. I went and saw, <laughs> I went and saw a girl that Said you're every, all, <laughs> I went and saw a girl with Elvis. He was like, had to see this girl named Billie Eilish, right? She's great. She's talented. She's charismatic. She's beautiful. She's funny. She's carefree. She's everything. But the songs aren't songs. Right? She's gonna write them. You know, when when I think of a girl songwriter, I think of Sinead O'Connor or Kate Bush or, or or Amy Mann. Amy Mann later on in life. Yeah. Right? She's come up with some. Not great voices carry. No, no, no. Amy no. <laughs> like she became a songwriter after she was successful. Right. Right? Absolutely. How hard is that to do? Well, dude, there's weird things going on in songwriting. Like I went and saw I went and saw the garden, right? The, the Orange County twin guys, right? right. Those guys are great, man. Drums and guitar. I thought, I thought yeah. I was going to be just like bored, but they mix this weird stuff. It's all this weird stuff's flying in there. You know what I mean? It's it's really good shit. And they had this guy. They had this guy. This hip hop dude. Uh, yeah, they always got to have a hip hop dude. Billie right. Eilish has the hip hop. The EDM. Up, I think it was Big Mike or Big Somebody or. They you know. are, it's just ridiculous. So the guy had this. He had his voice going through a vocoder. And then he had showing in the background Ramones videos, cartoons on The Simpsons. And it was just confusing as all get out, man. But but it's it's the audience has a low attention span or whatever. I don't know what it is. But you but can't say it's bad though. But listen, it's it's not what it can be. When 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 songs touch you like my old friend the blues, right? I'm talking about, I'm saying Billie Isley, or I don't know how to say her name. I don't know uh, how she is. When she, she could write the new version of my old friend, the blues, which is just another version of, of uh, why don't you love me? Like you used to do. It's a tradition of songs that could just come down through the hundred over the hundreds of years that are so beautiful and poetic and make you feel mm. right. There, there's not songs like that. They're just castaways. Like it just means nothing. It's just another YouTube video. It's not affecting people the way yeah. that songs did. Uh, I remember my earliest childhood recollection, 1964. I was three and a, I was three and a half years old. 
the Beatles, I want to hold your hand. Second time they were on, on Ed Sullivan show. I remember me and my sisters in the living room and them, we were singing along and joking along and that we changed it to, I want to hold your foot. And my sisters were holding my foot. <laughs> I want to hold your hair and pulling your hair. <laughs> and I remember that. Right. Like when is something like that going to ever happen again? It can't happen because the Beatles aren't a fair comparison though. I mean, because yeah, every it, single song they wrote was fucking amazing. <laughs> you know uh, what I mean? That's it's not true. I don't, I don't oh, know name, about that. Well, okay, <laughs> name one that's fucking terrible. All of the albums on on V, like, like that. No. Yeah, they're bullshit. all throwaway, fake Buddy Holly and fucking no, Everly Brothers. Oh, it's all bullshit Everly Brothers imitations, really. Yeah, Come I disagree. On. Yeah, well, we'll agree that, to that's disagree. That's why music that's is about taste, <laughs> a lot of it. I think the Beatles become the Beatles on 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 um, Norwegian Wood, what, Rubber Soul. Rubber Soul. That's when was, they become was, the Beatles. That Before so that, they're just like Herman Hermits or any other fucking band. That, that's, I'm sure Paul McCartney would agree with me. You know, I saw a great interview with him not too long He's ago. He's a genius. Oh, he said He's so. gotten better with age, hasn't he? Yeah, but is it the real Paul McCartney, though? Or is it the one that... He was so <laughs> so dis distinguished and so... Smart. And just just the way he spoke about music and the way he realized all these things. There's a lot of that, a lot of that Noel... But Noel uh, has had time oh, to don't think... don't compare Noel Gallagher to Paul McCartney. <laughs> Why not? Why not? He he stole so much from him openly, but it, you know, does that tell you anything? Yeah, but Paul, yeah. but Paul McCartney. Paul didn't invent music either. The, the Everly Brothers, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to hear the original <laughs> Beatles, listen to the Everly Brothers. Oh my but, god! But watch it. Watch everybody it. Watch imitates, these guys. Everybody imitates until they evolve into what they are. Right. Well, the same same way David Bowie would not have gone the way he went if not for Mark Bolin. Everybody everybody keys off key players in their life. David Bowie was heavily influenced you know by Brian sad? Ferry. You know what's sad? Because I, I like to think of myself as I was a little token part of that chain of music. I was the one that inspired great successful people to go like I was, They were like, dudes, we got to work hard, man. You see that guy right there? Because <laughs> I know Mark Boland died, fortunately. He didn't have to see Bowie's success with his shtick. But you have to come to grips. You, yeah. you have to come to grips. You have to come to grips with that. I think a lot of musicians that... Um, I think a lot of... I, th I think David Crosby has a lot of... Un resolve feelings about how inspiring Crosby, Stills, and Nash was and how copied it was and how, how people had much greater success than oh, yeah. he had with it. A lot you can of, just feel it about him that he's angry about the people that had greater success than him, right? And at, at a certain point, I'm not comparing myself to David Crosby or Mark Bowen. I'm saying I was a contributor in inspiring bands people that were in bands that were very successful and i take pride in it now but it was really a hard spot to be in it's a you know what i mean it's a hard spot to be in but the the pain i suffered from 1991 say like i would see bands on television i go even dougie our friend like we're sitting there getting smoke crack one night and this video comes on first time i ever saw it and i was like and I was cracked out, I got to admit, and I was a little delusional, narcissistic thinking, but no. I was looking at this video and I turned up the sound and Dougie was sitting there and he goes, 
is that you? And I was like, I don't think so. (laughs) It was a song. I was like, that guy, that looks like me. And it was Counting Crows. The me and Mr. (laughs) Jones and me bumping down the radio. Like, who else says in a song, I want to be Bob Dylan, except for me. I'm the one that invented that. <laughs> Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> that was so fucked up. You got some imitators, man, I, I and, must admit. And well, it, good thing they never made any money. Oh, wait. <laughs> oh, they did. Yeah, they and he's still wearing weird hair pieces. He's a good guy, though. But you know what? I, I actually addressed it with him one time. I said, yeah, you know, when I saw the Mr. Jones video, I was like, and he was like, oh, yeah, very much so, like, love Thelonious. And I was like, and what can you say to that? The guy's got, like, going, yeah. I was, I, right, and that's being Thelonious. called being the inspired county, by. The Counting Crows guy, right? Yeah, Adam. Oh, and then, Adam, yeah. And then he loved The Bicycle Thief. He loved it. It was like his favorite album forever. And he was disappointed that me and Josh had broken up and there was no band. And he said, why don't we back you? And I was like, oh, how would that work? And he goes, we'll just play. The Counting Crows will just back you and I'll sing background. I'll sing Josh's parts. And and we played a bunch of shows. You can find them on YouTube of Counting Crows doing Bicycle Thief with me singing. How crazy is that? Yeah. That's kind of so nice of him. I didn't even know that. Yeah. It was really cool. But, But so being that... Just you saying that Mark Bowling thing triggered me. <laughs> I was that Mark Bowling guy for some people. Well, yeah, well, that, that came up. I like, can tell it more in the songwriting than anything to do with, you know, nobody can really sing like me. No, but, but people but people are, we're, we're keyed by certain things, or we see something we like without even knowing it on, on, a, on a cellular level. That's that thing. It's, it's whatever that thing is that that those huge crossover hits have like when we played a show up at the the old sunset house of blues and we rented a big old bus and we took a bunch of people up there to go play with a a band i had a few years ago and on the way back we were just music whatever music was playing was playing and Oasis Wonderwall came on it's and the greatest everybody song. stopped it's doing what along. they were doing and there were 45 50 people on the bus it was kind of crazy and everybody's singing that song and as soon as that song ended it went back to just people hollering and yelling and being drunk and all sorts of idiocy but that song did stop people and it tracks the same way Moon Age Daydream used to do for people it was one of those songs 5 years think of think about the drum beat of 5 years boom, boom. <laughs> Coming through the market square. I just remember that ringing out in every house in my neighborhood. Like everybody was listening to it. I was 11 years old, 12 years old. It was just, it wasn't the Beatles. It wasn't Jimi Hendrix. It wasn't what was on the radio. It was this new thing. And the guy's saying the world's going to be over in five years. <laughs> and like, when you're 12, when you're 12, that's fucking heavy shit. Wow. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm never going to even be able to drink or have sex. The world's going to be over. Darby Crash took that whole thing to another level with the, you know, because he did yeah, do but his I career never really for five under, years. I never really and then understood with the width that. Of a circle. Well, that was a circle. The whole care. Here's the thing about things. People have to care, right? When you're doing things in these bigger influencing the culture ways, right? I, I argue with my son Elijah about this all the time. If nobody hears your tree fall in the woods, you can't just keep talking about how you the tree fell in the woods, the people who really do the things, everybody hears their tree fall in the woods. I think that's what pop culture is about. 
It's not about. Are you saying Darby Crash was? Nobody I think, heard his tree I think fall nobody, in the woods. I think Is that nobody, what nobody heard it. Well, I mean, I've heard the a five giant years. tree called John Lennon fell in right at the same <laughs> fucking time. That's why. <laughs> Nobody John, could hear it. Mike, John, 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 John Lennon. John didn't murder. go by choice. Did you know that? So, yeah. do you knew that? How old were you in 1980? Uh, I was 13. 13. Okay, I was like 19. So, funny thing happens. So, I, I, I liked the germs. I liked the round and round single. Well, joint well, I like I had that yeah, Richie Dude, Daggers, the, the, the Lexicon, the, the Devil. fucking GI I, album I, I was is the most too, genius album ever right, fucking Mike, written. All right, in, all right, all right, all right. I, I get it. Are you it. kidding me? But I'm just saying who I was at 19 <laughs> and 1980. I didn't understand it. It was it was hard to understand. I wasn't a part of that world. Oh I was God. living in Costa Mesa, going to Orange Coast College. Right. So yeah, okay. So well, then I can't argue with you. It, well, but listen though. So my mom died in, I forget, like at the, at the beginning of November, I think. And then, and then John Lennon dies, gets murdered. You hear about him on Monday Night Football. And then two days later, Darby Crash was found dead on a Sunday, I believe. Uh, no, uh, that's a, not how it happened. How it Darby happen? Crash <laughs> fucking committed suicide. And the very same next day, John Lennon was murdered. The next day. Yeah, I think it was two days later. No, because I called into the radio station to say... Is Wait, it you true mean Darby that, wasn't just an overdose? Is it true? No, Darby no, killed, he killed himself. killed himself. In some dramatic... And it was his whole width of a circle, five years, his total devotion to David Bowie. He died on December 7th. Let's see when John Lennon died. Okay, see, Mike, you got to understand the internet. Anybody can check anything you ahead. say. What is it, two days, one day, <laughs> I, I said two hours? So now he says it doesn't matter. I just said it was two days. Look it up. I'm looking at it. I was there. I wasn't it was in the Costa next Mesa. day. You're right. It I was, was the not next in day. fucking Costa Mesa. Okay, was, so I... on the 7th, Darby <laughs> Crash killed himself. On the 8th, John Lennon died. Let's... Now, let's see if I can Google when my mom died. <laughs> I, don't, I don't remember. <laughs> Nancy. Helen not Forrest. Nancy. No, not Nancy. Helen Forrest. Um, so the small article comes out in the fucking, in the LA Times about Darby Crash and this huge John Lennon's been murdered fucking camera. You know, so it was just completely overshadowed. He thought, I'm going you know, to tell you something game. personal in a second if I can find out. Hey, you know, um, though, I, I think, you're, I, I got to agree with you, Mike. It was, it was a big deal to a smaller community. You know what the problem is? John just is? had a bigger audience. My mom, my mom's name, um, shared a name with a famous singer named Helen Forrest, and now I can't find out. Now I'm looking at the Bob Forrest thing, see if it's there. It's such a weird <laughs> world. I'm looking, up, weird. I'm looking up Bob Forrest on Revolvi to see if it has my mother's death date. How crazy <laughs> is the internet? I think, How fucking crazy I think, is the internet? I think you just followed yourself down your own throat. No, no, no. That's I, weird. But my mom had died right like a, a couple weeks before. Okay. And the point was, like, of the three deaths, John Lennon's affected me the most. John Lennon's death was big, man. <laughs> More than my own sad. mother dying. How crazy is that? And, and I go back and forth like, you know, Darby Crash became so important to me to imitate him. That's really what I did in the beginning is just imitate him. And we used to do Shutdown, one of the germ songs. That was like 
Thelonious Monster main. That's how we ended every show. We did a germ song. So by 84, I'm imitating him. So now I'm starting to think, like, of those three deaths, I think maybe my mom's the third most important. (laughs) Over time, her death became even less important. Because people started saying, listen, KK said it. You know, you're playing with fire here. Like, you know... Because I was really imitating him. Mike, you know that. I would yes. slip my arms. I light myself on fire. I would do anything, bash bottles over my head, just anything to get attention at that time. Because mm-hmm. we didn't know how to play nor write songs. So you had to do something. You got a stage and a light. <laughs> you better do something. <laughs> you better do something. <laughs> and um, I still don't know the words to shut down, but I've sang it a thousand times. I, I, I don't know that everybody does. Boom, 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 boom. You listen and you read the lyrics to like No God and Manimal and stuff like that. It's just... It, his writing was yeah, but in Je- Jeffrey, fucking incredible, man. Jeffrey was just as good. Jeffrey yeah, Lee in Paris a different was, way. In a different but, way. But I love they, Jeffrey they too. They were but, buddies. Let's see what the lyrics to shut down are, because I've never I've never not, it's not as not as great as job. It's not as great as lyrics. What, it's not? No. Maybe that's why I didn't sing them. No, lyrics to just, shut down. It's are, like Louie Louie. Let me touch the tips. Let me touch the tips of inarticulate Dude. desire. The brush the fettered veil away and brush the fettered veil away. Shut down in the depths I lay. They're if you great. want nothing, then you see Mike just said it was bad. <laughs> they're and great. They're fucking okay. great. Now look up the lyrics to No God. Wait, let greater. me. Let, wait, if you want nothing, then I've got nothing. I'm your uh, annihilation man. Let me get control. I've got your minds. Now I want your souls. Let me get control. I've got your minds. Now I want control. I need control. If you want something, then I've got something. I'm your annihilation man. Shut down. Okay, look up the lyrics. Shut down. Look up I the got lyrics. the shutdown part shut right down. every time. Yeah. Look was, up nice. the lyrics to Lion's Share. Lion's share. I will look okay, it up. That's right one of now. the later ones, even after he was like, you know, that was like for the movie. That was wrote, for it wasn't a movie Lion's share. It was uh it was, it was uh, uh yeah, cruising. Cruising, but they wrote that he wrote that and that's that's just genius. I mean, do me in, I need the rest. Oh my god. Do me in, I need the rest. Let's see if it says that. All all he sees are death masked stars. The lion's world is cold and sharp. All he wants is much too far. So he stalks the roads of token cars. He snarls at the winds that mean no harm and takes the thorns in perfume form. The broken ideals rides inside the torture. Lion's denim hide. Lion's denim hide. I want the lion's share. J- g- j- gather up the broken chairs. Feed my mind on holy tests. Do me and I need the rest. Do me and I need the rest. Is that the greatest line ever written by he somebody who's dying when, on a fucking drug binge? He sleeps when nothing's in the air. Eats the scrapes of some that care. That's using people. He was good at that. I mean, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, uh, I don't beatify Darby Crash. I don't, I don't, I don't think he was a great person. I think he was sad and beautiful. Yeah, well, you like that sort of tragedy. Why don't you sad. marry him? Why don't you? Yeah, <laughs> he sounds like you would, right? I would have. <laughs> <laughs> oh no! So there, so there's Mike's favorite, the Germs. My favorite, Oasis. Chuck, what's your favorite? For things uh, that are just like early, unbelievable, early shit. early shit that influenced you, like massively. No, not that. Just you, you overwhelmingly know great. 
be you know the band i i always go see i i i've always loved elvis costello but obviously i was too young to catch the ramones clash bowie i saw bowie but later on the church has been one of those bands for me that i've always church people i used to have a girlfriend that loved the church i was so jealous i, I still still listen to steve kelby stuff i remember the church I, was playing at fender's ballroom and stacy Granrock. she said do you want to go see the church on friday i was like no and she goes well, do you mind if i go and i was like oh that's, that was a great show they not, played with the dancing hoods and that was one of my favorite okay. shows was like 83. is that okay for a girlfriend to go out without the no. boy oh Oh, they were good. They were they're so good. And they've done and they and they've had their you know, Steve's gotten lost on drugs and come back and got He makes lost solo records comes too, back. right? He's done a lot of amazing stuff. You know who people like is this guy from Red Paint Red House Painters. Oh, I love that band. The guy Sun Kill Moon or something. Oh my god, I love that band. I've dude. tried to get into it. See, you know when I, when people I respect like something. I go to the record store and buy like three albums. I try to. I used to try to talk to the record store people and say, "What is the best album yeah. of this Moon? They don't even know who it is anymore. Mm, yeah. They don't know anything. You go to any record store, they don't know anything about anything. Why do they work there? There's a sound. There's a song on the uh, on the um, on the uh, Vanilla Sky soundtrack that Red House Painters do. That's just fucking beautiful, man. Oh my god. <laughs> I forgot Mike, the name of it. Mike, so just, Mike just went from the germs to the soundtrack to Vanilla Liquid Sky, Vanilla which is Sky. a great, actually a great soundtrack. Vanilla how, Sky. how did you come in contact with it? I'm just wondering. I just like liked it. How did you? How did it cross your Mike Mart? Pathway. I'm not sure. How to cross Mike Mart Road? The record store. Did you, I don't know. Did you like the movie? Yeah, the movie was good. Oh, so you got the thing. Wait, what? What is, is that, that with movie? Tommy Lee Jones and Jessica Lange? Uh, what's his name? Tom Cruise. Oh, I hate him. Uh, oh, I yeah, hate I'm him. Sorry. He's a good I'm actor. Out. Yeah. Oh, you got to separate, oh, separate the art from the artist. Bob. Oh my God, Bob. that's the one where he's an Clint inspirational speaker. No, I like I like when he jumps on couches and acts crazy. I like that. <laughs> I it's the he's, movies he's are so awful. He's so cute. The movies I like are awful. I, when he was on uh, Graham Norton, I was just dude. What a he just. I you know what? I'm not going to say anything. You don't like saying negative things. Were you going to say no. what a douchebag? Uh, awesome. <laughs> I almost said Scooby Douche because I like Scooby Doo and I like Douche. So come on, Chuck. Will you get a little bit fucking mean? But, but like, here's the thing. Any good. What I, why I like talking about music is because the three of us obviously our whole lives were profoundly affected by songs and bands and musicians and music. It's true. And we're trying to help a generation of kids that are not profoundly affected by music. So our basis, like I, you know, I always say, like if it wasn't for music, I would have killed myself. If it wasn't for music, I would have never become who I am. If it wasn't for music and my love for it, I don't know where I would be or who I would be. It, it's everything to who I am. The Beach Boys, Bowie, The Beatles, The Replacements, X, The Plimsolls, Led Zeppelin. Blue Oyster Cult. Blue Oyster Cult. <laughs> Dude, the first time I got that, that's how I heard of Patti Smith. <laughs> that's how I heard of Patti Smith. I heard who, I want to know who's that singing in the background of Don't Fear the Reaper. And there was another song on that album that she sings on. And, and, and I heard it's that Patti Smith girl. And that's when I bought Radio Ethiopia Smith by Patti Smith. No, Patti Smith. 
the fucking singer. What are you talking about? Is it Patty Smith? Yes, yeah, she was saying on Blue Oyster Cult. Not, not Scandal, <laughs> the other one. <laughs> oh my God, Mike! <laughs> I am the warrior. Well, no. I don't know this shit. I didn't know that. No, I because I was a freak about okay. records and so who did what. I only discovered Blue Oyster Cult like just like maybe ten years ago. I, I love never you know listened to during the punk rock days. I, I, I got stuck in a car going to San Francisco, and all I had was a cassette of Blue Oyster Cult. And by the time I came back, I loved Blue Oyster Cult. See, see, there we go. Steve Kilby was did an interview where he said he was listening to a lot of Blue Oyster Cult when they recorded Gold Afternoon Fix. So I had to go and I had to find more about Blue Oyster Cult because I liked what right. he was doing. Right. Exactly and then I got that. into this long discussion with Mike Watt about Blue Oyster Cult because he loved Blue Oyster Cult and, and D. Boone loved Blue Oyster Cult, man. And I was like, fuck, I'm a Blue Oyster Cult fan now, man. I mean, it's they're awesome. The early stuff is like, I mean, come on. They're in the 1969. They're writing like, this ain't the summer of love and this ain't the Garden of Eden. They're telling all these hippies to fuck off. That's great. <laughs> I want to know. Oh God, they're all dead. Oh geez, yeah. so many of them are dead. So sad. Are we gonna die, Chuck? I, I've heard. We, I've heard we might. <laughs> don't laugh like when, that. When you <laughs> when you love a band and then you're like looking them up and they're all dead, it's just like holy shit, that's gonna happen to me. Oh my god. Right. Oh my god. <laughs> Anyways, uh, don't fear the reaper. Caught up with them. Yeah. But but and burning well, for that's you. a song about suicide. But that's that, a song about like you know, don't be afraid to kill yourself. It's a, it's a trippy <laughs> that's song. A, that's a happy one. But, it is. But but how do you communicate with a generation of young people who music doesn't mean that what it meant to us, and they don't even know about film? I stopped giving up about how profound movies are twenty five years ago. That's a, that, we're talking about long attention spans. You know, when I used to get a twelve inch. LP, and I would I would go over every word that's on the in sleeve. I like you. Yeah. I want to know where it's recorded. Who made, that was back when I could read this? those. Where small was it mastered? Print. Where was it? And you know, oh, this was done Electric Lady Studios too. Oh, this was done. You know, everything was and things. You know, Gold Star. But, all the Beach Boys stuff was Gold Star, and then other things that I like was Gold Star. Phil Spector was Gold Star. I remember driving down Santa Monica Boulevard one day, and I saw the name Gold Star, and and I did a U turn, and I was like, what the fuck? holy fuck holy fuck and i walked in and it was just a lounge you know the entryway to gold star studios which used to be on vine and santa monica boulevard and i was i couldn't believe i was inside the building where all these songs that i'd listened to my whole life had been recorded right now get this then mike turns me on mike and pete weiss are become obsessed at the height of our drug use actually with tonight's the night by neil young Right. Yes. I really had never been into it until they got into it. And we wanted to do the album yeah, from front we, to back. We did do it. We did like six songs of it one night, but at Raji's. So we're obsessed for like two years with tonight. Actually, tonight's Pete, tonight. Pete is the one that really got me into it. I was like, I was like, no, nah, let's it, don't do it's that. It's an album stupid. about drug addiction. And then Pete you know was the I mean? one that really drove that whole. Yeah. Thing. So we're obsessed with it. One day I'm talking to this engineer guy. He goes, yeah, I worked uh, with David Briggs on, on Tonight, Tonight. I go, where was it recorded? And he goes, at SIR Studios on Santa Monica and Vine. I, I go, you're Malibu. fucking kidding me. You're fucking kidding me. <laughs> no, read the history of it because it just came out because it came out in a new box set. 
Neil Young liked the sound of the band live in that room at SIR rehearsal studio. And so he just paid money to cut a wall into the rehearsal studio next door, put a glass thing in there and put a studio in there. And that's where they recorded Tonight's the Night live. Nice. By the time it was released, the main guy who made it, Danny Witten, was dead of drugs. How crazy wow. is that? And if you look at the original sleeve of Tonight's Tonight, it's a picture of them playing live, and there's an amp there, and it's a blank space. The person's not standing in front of their amp, and it says Danny Witten. Oh, there's man. nobody there. Mm. I love shit like that. Yeah, right? That, that still so is important to me. I have a fact me. for you. I worked with David Briggs on the Low and Sweet Orchestra album. He's the one that Did he tell it, you right? stories about it? No, we went down to Jack. Yeah, he did. There was 122-inch tapes that they made to for Zuma, the, the live one where they rented a house down in Zuma Beach. Yeah, and I have that li- They lived there for six months and recorded, set up a recording studio in, in this house in Zuma and just recorded every single day. He said there was 160 tapes you had to go through to get the best takes of just live songs, live, completely live. With who playing in the band? Well, Crazy Horse. Oh, Neil Young, really? Crazy Horse, <laughs> Zuma, and they just lived in this house, man. And just like, and so the way David Briggs works is he sets it up live and he puts up baffles and he baffles things. And he, uh, I guess they were, he calls it catching the ghost in the swim. Which, yeah, it's, you know, David, it's produced by David Briggs, Neil Young, and Tim Mulligan, whoever that is. Uh, Lookout Joe was produced by Elliot Mazur, who's uh, like a record company executive manager guy. So it's all recorded live. Yeah, it's recorded studio instrumentals, SIR, Hollywood, except Come On Baby recorded at Fillmore East in New York City, and Lookout Joe recorded at Broken Arrow Ranch. Um, uh, So none of it was recorded in Malibu, Mike. No, Zuma. Zuma is Malibu. Zuma Beach. That's Malibu. Yeah, the album... The, oh, the album Zuma. Why are we talking about that? We're talking about Tonight's the Night. No, I'm talking about Zuma, the album He's Zuma. He's talking about Catching Swimming Ghosts. I don't like that album. It's shitty. It's great. It's shitty. How can you talk? How can you say that? It's only got one good song on it. I, I have it. Cortez? I, yeah, I don't like that kind of those. Oh, Anybody God. could do that. It's just a bunch of guitar no, soloing. No. I don't know why the fuck I was even talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. Now. That's true. It's like one of the greatest albums ever. It's all, it's all opinion and taste sometimes because there's, when but, somebody's you that You just good. said, Mike Mart just an hour ago said he doesn't like guitar solos and long guitar solos. Now he just claims one of the greatest songs ever is Cortez the Killer, which is a 15-minute guitar solo. That's as long as I can take. <laughs> and there, there you go, Neil. There's another one, I can't one, do half an hour ones, okay? <laughs> <laughs> fucking the dead do half an hour, forty-five minutes of fucking guitar Dude, playing. The man. dead have you know, forty-five minute songs. That, I, I listen to the dead on on XM radio sometimes. Even I can't take it. It's like, come on, boys, come on, come bring it back around you know, to the, the singing. The drugs, bring it back around to the singing, boys. The yeah. drugs do that shit. Fall <laughs> asleep while I'm playing or something, man. That's just they, It's almost as if like parts of the band are taking breaks. No, that like, seems so like fucking gone. narcissistic, right? Like you're just like, but it's. Oh, Jerry, dude, it's Jerry. No, that that's a, that's how you can tell when Steve was was on the on heroin really bad. Is there'd be like seven minute songs that don't really, there's no real, it's not really cohesive, and you can tell when Steve's not on heroin because he's writing 
Who's I mean, which Steve? It's Steve Kilby, the church. Oh, the church. what do you he do in the middle of a, of a thirty minute solo? Do you like have to resnort coke right in the middle while you're playing? Because I've seen musicians do that. Oh my god! I I was at a show. Um, where was it in? I think in like or in the Pomona or something where I swear to God that that um, I don't want to say the musician's name is he dead? Is John Cale dead? <laughs> no, <laughs> is no he, I don't, is I he, don't think he's. I got I got to look it up. Is he not dead? Okay, yeah, well, do. but I mean he's too old to be angry about he, he gossip. Care. Is he? He John doesn't Cale? care. I mean that's kind of the reputation. John Cale is still alive. That's amazing. Yeah. Walter fucking... Lure is still alive. He's playing, and Alex is coming. Yeah, uh-huh. Walter Lure from the New York Dolls. How well, yeah, crazy is that? Aren't, How... aren't they playing under the moniker of Heartbreakers, though? John Cale. Anyways, we're at time. Okay, I know, but we got to look this up. John Cale is still alive, born in 1942. So how old is that? 58, 68, 76. He's 76. That's not that old. I thought that's he was pretty old. good for one older. of his generation. I mean, but anyways, and I saw and... him at some club, and I swear to God, he walked over and shot meth or coke, it, it, right on stage. Oh, he just walked back to his amp, and, you, and the the guitar tech was standing next to him. And then there was just these moments, and he didn't know what they were doing. He wasn't switching guitars. He wasn't doing anything. He was just there. And then he kind of tipped behind the amp, but his you know that hunch when Dude, you're going to so shoot fun. up and you hunch over. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if I should say this, but yeah, Smog and I did that. <laughs> Smog and I did that in 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 Dallas in a club in Shoot Dallas. Shoot up meth or coke to keep going in coke. Coke, yeah, you're right. Have have it ready to go right behind your amp, right, right behind right. Smog's tall like SVT. Uh, yeah, yeah, big. Uh, how you guys carried that around, I don't know. But anyways, we're now we're the new frontier. 2019 is about how do we help these kids. We've got to start understanding they don't see music the way we say music. They don't see films the way we see films. They don't read. They don't have attention spans. They don't care about things that we find profoundly caring, that we profoundly care about. Um, it's just, We're going to have to figure out because we're the ones got to inspire them. We're the ones got to connect with them. And we all multi-generationally have connected with community through music, through pop culture, mm. through through drugs, through politics. They don't care about any of that. How now, are we going to connect of, with them? Now, do you think some of them are, are reading all that stuff, but it's not profoundly changing They're not life. reading like, it. Like They're not it reading it. Mike, I've counseled kids who don't know who Kurt Cobain is. Oh, my God. Mm. Like, think about that. That's amazing. Think about that. That and makes that, me feel really and that old. Ki- and that kid is sober now, like four, three, four, five years. I swear to God, I saw the look in his face, and I knew he was combination, didn't know who I was talking about, and realized he should know who I'm talking about, and embarrassed, <laughs> yeah. and then got defensive and said, well, I don't listen to fucking music like that. I li- I'm into EDM. All and right. And I was like, electric oh. Electric Daisy Carnival music. No, electric dance music. Yeah. It's a, EDC is the Electric Daisy Carnival, okay. Mike. Get come your, on, man. Get, get your come shit on, my heart. I got my brother. Come on. But, man. but we right, got to figure out a way to connect with them. And what, what they do care about is each other and people. They do care about animals. They care about the planet. You know what I mean? So we might need to focus what we care about to communicate with them. That's, That's uh, the final message. frontier and the final journey, ladies and gentlemen. 
Try to figure there out how is. to talk to these fucking kids. All right. Till next time. Don't Have die. Have a great time. Bye. It's not cool to die anymore. I should have died in 1988. <laughs> I was 27. 27.